Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry, and today we get to answer a mailbox question. That's kind of exciting. From our new uh, fort. Yeah, yeah, we're sitting down in our podcast room of an undisclosed location, but we've been working on soundproofing it to make Mark and Lena's job easier better so we're, we're, we have every wall quote uh coded in moving blankets yeah these these fluorescents are harsh in my vibe though yeah we need well, to get uh we need, we need to get some mood lights in here <laughs> no we don't <laughs> <laughs> golly okay anyhow we're going to do something very different um but it is connected to that systematic theology three we've been working through um by the way it's been somewhat surprising to me how many people have commented and interacted with our views on sacraments. Um, mm-hmm. One of the most boring subjects, I thought, and yet it's generated the most interaction by just people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you getting any questions from your members of your church? I have. No, they're they're well taught up there. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Um, understand first of all, guys, that. The systematic theology three is going to be slow because it there, there's a lot of complexities in the doctrine of the church, and, and just think we haven't even tackled eschatology yet. <laughs> That'll be fun. <laughs> um, we did a jet tour though through two thousand years of the development of sacramental theology. Uh, obviously, we had to make very sweeping statements that seldom will please everyone, and frankly, we probably failed. To please anyone. Um, but we want to be accurate at the same time, and we want to be able to show respect for those who went before us uh, in developing and understanding theology. Um, I know that Matt and I both dislike it when our various positions we hold are treated in a shabby manner. And frankly, we even have very little time for those who avoid accurate and careful examination of our exegetical points. And so instead, they resort to childish cutdowns. Um, in fact, I've actually stepped out of certain Facebook groups just because, you know, you you make a comment and you're roundly mocked for it, but nobody actually ever interacts with what you actually said. Sure. Uh, so what happens uh, was one of our listeners, uh, we will call him Adam from Las Vegas. That's from how, Las Vegas. Yeah, that's what he wanted to be known as, Adam from Las Vegas. Sin City. Actually, he took the time to write us. Um, He is a Lutheran. He's part of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which is a conservative uh, synod. Um, And he took a bit of an exception to some things uh, we said. Uh, And he gave us a couple of points of clarification from a Lutheran perspective. And that is what we want to do in this short podcast. And what we hopefully will do is we can show Adam how much we are thankful, actually, that he wrote us. Uh, We're always asking you guys, send us a note, let us know what you're thinking, 
And this man actually did it. And so we want to encourage others to actually do the same. And so hopefully we'll make this a helpful podcast for everyone who listens uh, rather than just a distraction for them while they work out on the treadmill. Well, right? How many people are, they pop it on and they go for a run and, and they capture what? Maybe 10% of what we're saying. Yeah. I mean, every word we say is pure gold. Refined by fire. So Adam's, uh, Adam gave two points uh, in his, his response to us. Uh, so we're just going to kind of lay those out here. Uh, the first, first he mentioned was this. He said, hey, guys, I was just listening to your sacraments or ordinances episode. You were making the point that the connection between circumcision and baptism came from a good Roman Catholic theologian and that it didn't arise out of the Bible. I am a LCMS, Missouri, which is Missouri Synod Lutheran. We hold to sola scripture. Uh, we see Colossians chapter two as making the connection between circumcision and baptism. Uh, he also mentioned uh, a link to the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod website where there's a short discussion on immersion or sprinkling uh, and pouring of water. This was in response to the fact that circumcision and baptism are frequently connected in theology, but that the Bible doesn't actually do so. And we are aware of that Colossians yes. passage and how the Lutheran uh, reformed and even Roman Catholic Church use it, and we'll get to that eventually. Yeah, we we actually are. We're only introducing the sacraments. We're actually going to invest far more time than some people would want on actually the nature of the Lord's Supper and the nature and purpose of baptism. So we're going to get into those much more. These were merely introductory ones. Right, right. So our our response to this is it's really simple and. Uh, we're going to get into the nature of baptism, you know, in far greater detail in some of our upcoming episodes. Uh, as you said, probably more detail than some listeners are going to want or even expect, but it's it's going to happen. Uh, remember always that this podcast is first and foremost for the members of our church. And, so, you know, we don't want them to be uninformed on what the larger church outside of our church believes. So that's why we do this. But we also want to challenge every one of you to actually think about what the Bible text or biblical text actually says. And baptism is one of those issues that brings this out in a major way. Every position has Bible verses. Um, that is not the issue. So, so if you look up in your creed or your confession or a website or theology book to find the necessary Bible verses, uh, then this won't help much. No. Um, but at issue is what is the text actually saying rather than what are we saying that it's saying? <laughs> if they can track with that, but that, may, that, that that's a key thing though, right? Yeah. Yeah. You go to any confession, any statement of faith, in parentheses, there'll always be a string of Bible verses, but who goes and looks those up and does the necessary work to see, okay, how is that supporting this position and how is this position maybe developed from those or not yeah. developed from those? So, so the first thing you said is key though, how many actually look it up? And then after you look up, how many of you actually sit down and exegete those passages? Right, right. You know? Um, both of those should be done before you say, yep, I believe that. <laughs> yeah, right. So we, we're going to look at the various passages related to baptism and attempt to tear them apart for you. And then we're going to give a, a positive exegetical position on baptism that you can then interact with and debate or discuss. But again, it's going to be on a textual level rather than 
a theological level. All right, so that's his first point. Um, the second point is about the nature of the Lord's Supper or communion. Uh, we had made the point that Lutherans hold to a position called consubstantiation. And so here's what he actually wrote. Um, he, he said, here's an excerpt from my undergrad systematics book regarding consubstantiation. And, and it reads this, other theologians modified the teaching of transubstantiation into consubstantiation. This view still uses the physics of Aristotle to explain Christ's present instead of teaching that the substance of the bread changes into the substance of, body, of the body of Christ. Cons, oh boy, that's a hard word for me to say. Consubstantiation claims that a new substance is formed that is both body and bread simultaneously. It retains the idea that the accidents of the bread, this is all Aristotelian logic here, that the accidents of the bread remain unchanged. While this position may sound similar to the Lutheran position of real presence, it's not the same. The method of discussing the sacrament is still reliant on philosophy and not on scripture alone. Consequently, Consequently, Lutheranism rejects this teaching. Unfortunately, other Protestants sometimes insist on classifying Lutheranism with this description. This is inaccurate and a sign that they do not understand Lutheran theological principles. Fair enough. Sure. Um, you know, I had a guy in our church who was a Wells Lutheran. And as I was talking to him, I, I realized I didn't know Lutheranism as well as I need. So I actually bought Lutheran theologies and began to read it because I began to understand there's more going on than I had unfairly presumed. So um, I think that's a fair point. So to sum up the point that he made, uh, Lutherans prefer not to use the term consubstantiation. So with that, we're going to respond. Now we looked at several the Lutheran theologies to verify that there is a reluctance to use the term. And we actually found that Adam is correct. Uh, some react rather strongly to the use, and others simply say that this is not a proper term to attach to the Lutheran view. So we're like, okay, so we will work hard from here on out at trying to remove the term from our vocabulary, but we will probably slip up and it's inadvertent. It's just, we're gonna have to train ourselves. Um, Matt and I, we hate it when our big R Reformed brothers tell us what we believe about the end times or baptism or covenants when it's not correct. And so we want to treat our Lutherans the same way. It's like, if, that's, if they're saying, no, we don't hold to that, then right. we'll, we'll, show that, we'll show them that respect. But, and if you haven't, if you've been listening to us for any length of time, you almost always discover there's a but. We all are going to explain then the Lutheran view a bit more to qualify our mea culpa. Um, remember that we are not trying to unfold Lutheranism um, in, in these podcasts. We're just simply discussing the use, the use of the term sacrament as opposed to our preferred term ordinance. Uh, sacrament, in any view where it is used properly, means that grace is somehow conveyed through the so-called sacrament to the believer. That's not really debated by anyone. What is debated is what type of grace and how much of it. So for the Roman Catholic Church, this grace is a justifying and sanctifying, because they confuse those two, uh, justifying and sanctifying grace that actually moves them along the pathway to final salvation. Now, from that position, the Protestants began to distance themselves 
to varying degrees. And that's where the term consubstantiation came into use. Yeah, now, we're told that some Lutherans would prefer to use the phrase sacramental union. Uh, and if that works, then we would say fine. Um, the point in using consubstantiation is that that prefix there, con, it simply means with. So the substance of the bread and the wine uh, also in communion has the presence of Christ with it. Um, it. It does not change in some mystical way, but it's also not merely just bread and wine. Yeah, that, there's a reason why it got called consubstantiation. They were trying to make that distinction between trans that says it literally becomes yeah. the, 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 the body. Yeah. In it, some way, the presence of Christ is with, with the substance, the substance of, the, of the bread, exactly. but doesn't change it. So when, when Zwingli and Luther debated this issue, Zwingli's use of the term uh, mirror in relation to bread and wine is where Lutheran, or Luther strongly rejected his point. Uh, it is more than mere bread and wine because Christ in some mysterious or mystical manner is, is present as well. Uh, so here's a quote from Luther by a theologian named Alistair McGrath that illustrates this a bit. He says, for my part, if I cannot fathom how the bread is the body of Christ, yet I will take my reason captive to the obedience of Christ and clinging simply to his words, firmly believe not only that the body of Christ is in the bread, but that the bread is the body of Christ. So, I mean, you deal with that how you want, but that, those are Luther's words. Uh, yeah. Um, at at a Marburg uh, colloquy, uh, Zwingli argued that the idea of eating flesh and blood is a disgusting pagan notion. Uh, and Luther replied, I would eat dung if God demanded it. <laughs> say it sense. again. You start laughing. You got to <laughs> say it without laughing. He said, I would eat dung if God demanded it. Uh, later, he wrote this to Zwingli. He said, uh, get out of here, you stupid fanatic. Fanatic. With, oh, fanatic. With your worthless <laughs> ideas. If you cannot think in higher and other terms than this, then sit behind the stove and stew pears and apples and leave such subjects alone. Um, that's, that's good old Luther, right? Yeah, you gotta love him. I, <laughs> okay, so here's our point. Though Lutherans may not like the use of cons consubstantiation, and we will, again, try not to use it anymore, the actual term does accurately describe what they teach. It does. Yeah. Unlike transubstantiation, which argues that the bread and the wine actually become the blood and flesh of Christ— Consubstantiation says that the bread and the wine remain just that, bread and wine, but that also in some mysterious way that we cannot conceive. So that's where they differ, where Catholics try to then, through philosophy, explain what's happening. Luther and Lutherans are con content to let it be a mystery, but they say that it's in some mysterious way that we cannot conceive, the presence of Jesus is also there around, above, and below it. In other words, with exactly right. a con, with the bread and wine. And so the believer also does partake of Jesus as well. Now, this is not a small matter to the conservative synods in Lutheranism, such as the LCMS and also the Wells, Wisconsin Evangelical Lutherans. They practice what is called a closed communion where only those who are in full agreement with their position may take communion with them. So you and I could not go to one of them and be able to partake of communion. Now, they could come to our church, and we practice, if you're able to make a credible profession of faith, you can 
partake of this Lord's Supper. We don't practice that. They say you have to have full agreement before you can partake of it with us. And we would simply say, no, no, <laughs> we, we don't accept that statement. Yeah. Some even practice close communion. Have you heard of that? No. Um, that is, you, you must be a member in good standing with that local church. I bet you that they probably practice that. I know Wells do. Yeah. They're, they're kind of like the watch will get letters for this one, but they're like the independent Baptist fundamentalists uh, of the Lutheran world. The, the Missouri Synod's very conservative, but the Wells don't approve of them. <laughs> Take that, Adam, from Las yeah. Vegas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you heretic, you. <laughs> Anyhow, we got some back and forth here. Uh, we're just going to now just give you several quotes out of Lutheran, uh, various Lutheran writers. Yeah, so this one comes from Martin E. Marty. Uh, he says... The question is, what happens in the wait a sec, wait a second. What parent <laughs> named named their son Martin Marty? Marty Marty. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> poor uh, guy. Well, yep. Uh, so he he wrote. The question is, what happens in the Lord's Supper? Once again, I turn to that strange linguistic turn from a theologian. Something really happens. It does not not happen. The Lord's Supper is not just a story, a ceremony a reminiscence, something that will give Christians something more to argue about. The Lord's Supper is a happening in which God reaches down, Christ is present, the Holy Spirit is enacting that presence. So one can never attach adjectives or adverbs or other words like mirror, uh, as in the mere representation of the body or blood of Christ, or nothing but bread and wine. Sometimes Lutherans speak of the real presence of Christ in the sacrament, though among them are those who say the term does not have much backing in history. All right, so that's one. Here's another quote. This is um, from the Wells website. They say, true Lutherans, <laughs> so true Lutherans teach what Jesus clearly said uh, on the night he was betrayed. This is my body. This is my blood of the covenant. We do not deny what Jesus said. We do not try to explain how Jesus can be present with his body and blood under the bread and wine. Martin Luther wrote, why do we not put aside such curiosity and cling simply to the words of Christ, willing to remain in ignorance of what takes place here and content that the real body of Christ is present by virtue of the words? That comes out of Luther's works. Uh, we believe that Jesus's body and blood are really and truly present in the Lord's Supper. And we believe that Jesus is giving real and true spiritual gifts to us through his eating and drinking, forgiveness, life, and salvation. It is pure gospel for our comfort and spiritual strength. So there you really see that sacramental language that you're feasting in some way on Christ and in it you're he's transferring what this uh, the wells are saying uh, forgiveness life and salvation that's that's pretty radical statement there mm -hmm. yeah here's one from Missouri Synod um, a short one that says the Lutheran Church teaches that Christ's body and blood according to His word and promise are truly present in the Lord's Supper or here's the Augsburg confession. Uh, it is taught that the true body and blood of Christ are truly present under the form, so here it is again, under the form of bread and wine in the Lord's Supper and are distributed and received there. Here's one from Samuel Navsger, 
uh, who wrote a Lutheran systematic theology. He said Lutherans small called. small called articles reflect the years of difficult, often contentious polemics with the South German and Swiss theologians, especially Zwingli and the sacramentarians. His words on the real presence are very brief, but nevertheless direct and explicit. Uh, quote, we maintain that the bread and the wine and the supper are the true body and blood of Christ and that they are not only offered to and received by upright Christians, but also by evil ones. All right. And then another one. Here's by Nasker, uh, The Confessing the Gospel, A Lutheran Approach to Systematic Theology. He writes, the formula has a more sophisticated understanding of the relationship between the visible and the invisible elements of the supper. The stock Lutheran phrase, in, with, and under, is found here, under the bread, with the bread, and in the bread. Uh, this oft maligned term is used by the formula of Concord, that's what he's referring to, to counter transubstantiation and to indicate the sacramental union between the untransformed substance of the bread and the body of Christ. In other words, in the supper, there are, now this is fascinating, in the supper, there are four elements, two visible, that's the bread and wine, and two invisible, the body and blood of Christ. Uh, and then here's a, f a final one from Nafsgar. He says, the real presence, and that's a technical phrase, real presence means that Christians are freed from the prison of their own particularity of time and place. This happens not as they leave time and place as though they soar spiritually to heaven. And there I believe he's contrasting with Calvin's view, which is real spiritual presence. Right. Um, so it's not as, as though they leave time and place as though they soar spiritually to heaven, but only as the body and the blood of the one who, whom time and place cannot contain, enter mysteriously into present time and place without occupying space. Indeed, into recipients' mouths again and again without being crushed by their teeth. Each time his words make it so for us. The one who made himself a servant of all serves a meal for recipients today. The mystery of the real presence in that the meal he serves today is not only bread and wine, but also his own body and blood. He is the host. His body and blood in communion with the bread and the wine are the meal. Today's recipients are served. They are fed. Lutherans make no attempt to explain the how of the real presence. In fact, confessional Lutheranism repeatedly rejects every attempt to do so, hence the rejection of transubstantiation. All right. So there's our answer to Adam of Las Vegas, and we really do appreciate it. We hope it was helpful, though, to everyone, but especially to Adam. When you discuss or teach theology, um, you will discover the challenge is always how much do you get into all the details and the subtleties that exist. And as a podcast, we're trying to walk a very difficult line that balances soundness and fairness. And it's harder to do than you may realize. And if you doubt us, we welcome you to start your own podcast and you'll find that out. Um, to be honest, we only touched on the idea of the Lutheran view and understanding of the Lord's Supper in this follow-up episode. Uh, and you need to keep that in mind as well. So any of you who are also Lutherans, you might say, yeah, but, but look— we're not going to teach Lutheran theology. We're not Lutherans. Um, but there are a couple of points we can summarize here at the end that you heard in one way or another about the idea of the Lord's Supper in Lutheranism. First, it is a sacrament. It is clearly conveying grace to those who partake it. And we simply disagree with that assessment of uh, that idea. But we just 
don't right. agree with it. We'll get into that when we get into the Lord's Supper, but understand that. Second, they do not know how it conveys grace or even what exactly is conveyed. It is said over and over again in their theologies that it is a mystery that we are to embrace by faith and not try to reason it out. And we say that though that is understandable, it is also a convenient way to get out of explaining and defending the theological position. I mean, every time we press them, they'll say it's a mystery. Well, you can't argue with that. <laughs> yeah, how do you yeah. argue with that? Yeah. Um, third, although they don't like the term consubstantiation, it's actually not an unfair term, as it perfectly describes in one word the idea they teach. That teaching is that there are two substances present. The first is the bread and wine, and the second is that body of Christ and his blood are truly present. But we will not try to use it regardless. So here's our final point today. We hope that by responding to Adam's note that he sent to us that you realize we really do want to hear from you. We ask you to give us your thoughts, and that is what we're doing yet again. We can't promise we will respond to everything. We can't. But if, something we need, if it's something that we need to clarify or enlarge upon, we will. And in doing so, we hope we can treat it and you with respect and kindness. And so next time we'll continue in with our Systematic Theology 3. But until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation, let us know your thoughts on what we are saying and teaching. And as always, don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review on iTunes, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell a friend. Mm -hmm.